Hi, I'm Jake Parker, and this is my podcast, Beyond Fit. My goal is to help you live a happier and healthier life by providing actionable knowledge and advice about a wide range of health and fitness topics, as well as self-improvement. If you want to find out more about me, visit my website, jake-parker.com. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the Beyond Fit podcast. My guest is Lawrence Neal. His business is working with high-intensity training studios, so a lot of different things to talk about here. We got into a lot of personal development, self-growth type things last time, but that that would be fun to touch on. Uh, we are also just kind of going back and forth on how COVID has affected us in different ways because Lawrence lives in the UK, and obviously I'm here in Nebraska in the United States. So I'll let Lawrence go ahead and say hi on his end, and we're going to kind of pick up where we left off as far as the conversation we were, we were having off air. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jake, again. Really appreciate uh, being invited back onto your podcast. I uh, really enjoyed our first podcast last year and uh, was actually listening back to it uh, mm-hmm. on the car on the way in this morning, just uh, feeling a little bit nervous because I thought, well, that was actually a pretty good podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it was. If we could top it, but doesn't really matter. <laughs> I think like the coolest thing I was thinking about is like some of the people who I've come across who have been repeat guests on the podcast, I just find in the most random way. And sometimes that's just cool because I almost feel like, I mean, say what you want, but I'm one of those people who believes, you know, everything happens for a reason in some respect. And so there's been people who I've just found on like a random Reddit thread and I find their website or, you know, Instagram is more common, but for you, I was I was looking more into like high intensity training and looking for some Dorian Yates interviews. And I heard your interview with Dorian Yates. I think I told you this the first time. And then I was like, oh, this guy seems kind of similar to me. Thought it'd be fun to have you on the podcast. And we just had a really fun conversation. So thought it'd be cool to have you on again. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that's a really cool way to operate. It's just follow your intuition in a way there. Um, you know, it's in, especially in podcasting, there's a certain pressure to want to obviously bring people on to your podcast who, mm-hmm. um, are uh, relevant to your niche and your area. Um, but also try and get the, the, you know, the guests who have the biggest audience so that mm-hmm. you can grow your podcast. And I understand the logic behind that, but there's something beautiful about having someone on your show who's totally unknown mm-hmm. now not saying i'm totally unknown or relatively so compared to some people like tim ferris and joe rogan mm-hmm. but um you know, just having you know i've had multiple guests who have literally never been on a podcast before who you know might have some tiny fitness studio that no one's really aware of and mm-hmm. But I know they have some really interesting, refreshing perspective to bring to the table. And, um, and that's, that's super cool. And I, I, I sometimes like to think that, well, one day maybe um, these people will have a bigger following or a bigger brand and you'll, you'll be the person who would have given them that platform. Mm-hmm. And even if, even if they, they don't, they still have something interesting to say and maybe someone else won't pick them up. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And speaking of niche, like you're one of the people that made me kind of become more focused on a niche because we talked about how your podcast at one point was just like super general and how you kind of niche down into what you're doing now. And so I had to think for a couple months about how exactly I wanted to frame it. But now I would say that my niche is more, yeah, I talk a lot about specific health and fitness things, but I'm also not afraid to touch on other things that are just about living life, about yes, how fitness relates to your life, but also just life in general about your relationships, being happier and being healthier. Cause I feel like all that stuff ties together. Yeah. It's all interconnected. So it's almost like health and fitness and philosophy. Mm -hmm. If you were to 
frame up real high level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's funny because you see so many people that are, that are in, you know, quote unquote, like the industry, like anyone who you might be connected with that sees health and fitness as sort of their vocation. It seems like almost without fail, they have some aspect of self-improvement, of mindfulness, of something like that, because they, they do just tie so closely together. Yeah, absolutely. Com completely agree. So going to what we kind of spoke on before we were on air, do you want to speak a little bit about how um, being in quarantine has affected you, how it's kind of looked differently over there and some of the different growth opportunities and things you've, you've had to deal with? Yeah, absolutely. I've been quite excited to talk about this um, as I've, I'm interested in sharing my view and, and obviously learning from you as well, Jake. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, just to set the scene, I, I actually live in Galway in Ireland. I'm from the in UK, Ireland. Okay, I, li I live in Ireland. Okay. <laughs> um, don't expect you to remember all that. So I live in Galway, um, which is on the west coast of Ireland, with my fiance and my, my six-month-old son, who was born in December 2019. So that would have been a few months after we recorded. I think we recorded in August. Okay. Yeah. Right. So uh, it's interesting, you know, I was just going through the calendar looking at a couple of weeks before uh, the virus hit the West and things started locking down. And it's so fascinating to look at the calendar because I looked at like, uh, I, I actually wrote like a little timeline down here. Um, so week commencing March the 2nd, there was nothing really going on in the West that much from at least in terms of the media I was seeing um, and I perhaps I do curate my media quite mm -hmm. tightly but I don't remember there being a lot of panic obviously it was all going on in China um, uh, and I think most people were kind of like oh, I've got nothing to worry about we're too far away you know no one was too concerned about it, or most mm -hmm. people weren't concerned about it um, so I remember that week I was having coaching calls speaking with high intensity training studio owners having very optimistic calls about growth we were no one was even mentioning uh studios being shut down or anything mm -hmm. like that it's so crazy but then just a week later so literally week commencing uh march 9th and things started getting real so again i had coaching calls i was speaking with um i had a podcast i was speaking with luke carlson who's a ceo of discover strength mm -hmm. i was speaking to carl reckier who's the um coo of the perfect workout they've got like 70 almost 70 locations in the u.s uh, studios and um you know they were really concerned they were like okay this is starting to get real. Mm -hmm. We might have to shut down studios. We need to start scenario planning for, you know, A, B, and C contingency plans. Um, and that was just nuts how over the course of one week, that's how things progressed. Um, and then, and then March the 15th, which was a Sunday, it was real. And <laughs> I jumped that on, quick. The, uh, yeah, I jumped on Skype with, um, uh, two studio owners, again, Luke and uh, a friend of mine, Mike Petrella, who owns a studio in uh, Toronto. Uh, or was it Ontario? Ontario, I think. Um, and we talked about how they were thinking about COVID and how they were planning um, in order to provide a resource to help my audience. Because I think a lot of studio owners were like, okay, well, what the, can we swear on this podcast? Is that all right? Yeah, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck do we do now kind of thing? Um, and so I wanted to be able to help and I wanted to be able to create a resource to help people. Uh, and that was very much the theme thereafter in terms of what can I do to help 
all of my clients and my audience during what is a, I think that the, the word of the year is unprecedented, right? Mm -hmm. Time. And um, by the way, sorry, I've got a timer on the lighting in this office. If it goes down, uh, okay. uh, just ignore that. <laughs> so, so that was just bonkers how rapid that, ex that um, escalated. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, March the 16th, everything started shutting down mm -hmm. in the West, um, you know, cross countries. Um, so that's what I experienced. Um, and then if I look at that, what happened next, well, the office I was working out of um, was no longer accessible. Uh, I was then pretty much forced to operate from home, which was fine to begin with because I'm used to working from home. I've been running businesses from home for a while. Um, so I thought it would be fine. But as I was saying, at the time, I had a four-month-old son. Mm -hmm. um, we have a very small apartment in Galway. So the environment wasn't really conducive to being productive and growing mm -hmm. a business. Um, you know, I found myself designing a really radical work schedule just to make it work, which meant getting up at 5 a.m. My core time was like between 5 and 7. That's when I could mm -hmm. really get stuff done because that's when he'd be sleeping. And then all the other work was based around his nap schedule. So mm -hmm. my calendar was like, you know, you know, I had huge blocks of time, Arthur's nap, you know, like, mm -hmm. um, and that was really, really hard um, and caused a lot of conflict, very stressful. Me and my fiance argued multiple times daily. It was very, very hard and there was lots of, breakdowns and crying and super challenging uh, yeah. but i think we are stronger now because of it um yeah. and i think that's a theme not just in terms of our relationship but a theme in my business my entrepreneurial skills um my own uh skills as a human being personally self-improvement um so it's more we could, I, could, I could keep going on this yeah. more but i thought i'd stop there to give you a moment to yeah, what jumps to mind for me is just like you talk about becoming more resilient and becoming stronger. I've been talking a lot about and trying to frame this all in the most optimistic light possible. And yeah, you could always say it sucks and it's not fair. But at the same time, I think partly you could say, well, this is just the universe giving us kind of a taste of what we had coming in the sense of so many of our practices are antiquated and so many of our routines, like specifically around I think of people that have to go to an office every single day or the way that we have school still operating the way it's, it was operating, I don't know, a hundred years ago. And it may, it's making us look at a lot of stuff and thinking, how should this change for the future? How should this be optimized? And I don't know. I think that, yeah, it's extremely unfortunate, but hopefully it makes us have some changes that uh, were long overdue. Another one that comes to mind for me is you hear about places like, New York and LA and some of the big hotspots in the East too, having like the least amount of pollution that they've ever had. And finally having the smog and sort of stuff clearing up because people aren't, aren't out and about. And so hopefully it just makes us take a look at that sort of stuff and have some concrete changes there. And the other thing I thought was interesting as far as just talking about differences in culture and location, it's been interesting here because in the Midwest, it's so common for people to have like a pretty big house and lots of space. And so I don't think that it's been as difficult, like relationship wise for people that are, you know, that, that are wor working together or living together, working from home because you can spread out, but there, you know, places like Ireland, you're often so much more compact. And so I feel like that probably just compounds the stress so much. You talked about just being in, in your apartment because you're always so close. 
like my parents I know had to uh, be home for a couple weeks and it really wasn't a big deal for them because they could kind of separate. And like for me being in my apartment, I'm just, you know, just single and in a studio. So it's not like I have really anyone to worry about, but it's, it's, it's weird to think about how different just a slight change like that, a slight cultural difference can come to the forefront at a time like this. Yeah. I mean, Ireland. So, so I would say obviously uh, London's probably a better example of, of, yeah property and real estate that's very expensive and very compact in a lot of places ireland's slightly different i'd say galway there's plenty of people in i mean galway it's like four million people i think that live in ireland roughly um and it's quite sparse and there is actually a fair amount of space there's a lot of people who live in galway who have large detached houses who probably have suffered very little change right um aside from the obvious things like missing out and seeing family and stuff like that um so yeah i mean ours was quite actually quite a unique situation in that um we have this small rental um with with the three of us and we were kind of on the cusp of upgrading either getting a bigger rental buying a home and um, obviously a lot of that was stalled by what's happened and then with the economic uncertainty we kind of put the brakes on to kind of evaluate what was going to happen um but no i I agree. There is a lot of positive stuff that's come out of this because there's two sides to the coin, right? There's been uh, obviously a lot of death. Um, there's been a lot of people sick. There's been massive economic upset and a lot of controversy around the strategies that countries have implemented to try and reduce the, the spread um, and the impact. And, you know, it's mixed. Personally, I kind of hold the view that we really messed up and mm-hmm. the economic impact is completely unnecessary. I'm not sure that the lockdown actually had any material improvement. Um, I think there's a lot of bad science going on in terms of people producing models, but mm-hmm. we actually can look back at the data now. And I think it's relatively clear that it was an effect, an effective strategy, but politically it could be very, I guess, dangerous for the politicians to, to be own up about that (laughs) yeah um so that's my own personal view yeah i just wish that people i I mean there's there's so many things i've read one of the things that comes to mind first and foremost is uh daniel kahneman's book thinking fast and slow and just stuff like that that talks about mental models and the way to think about things and a lot of times it's in the frame of how the media portrays things i just wish that people were more cognizant of that and not just a victim of believing everything that the media says I'm curious about, I wrote down here, you said something along the lines of curating your media or being guarded with what you allow in. And so I wonder what that looks like exactly. And I'm sure that you try to be aware of not just getting one side and also not just taking everything that you see reported as fact. Because I think that one of the, if you want to talk about a funny example of like uh, correlation causation, I talked about one time in a podcast or something how uh, they say that uh, now I can't remember exactly how it goes, but there was like an uptick in car accidents every time a Nicolas Cage movie was released. So it just shows like how sometimes correlation causation can just be totally random. And it's just, it's unfortunate how the media and like, I know, especially here, the two polar opposite examples are like Fox news and CNN. They, they want to twist everything, especially with the election coming up to to look like their people are are in the right and are in the know and it's not really about getting information out there objectively by any means it seems like 
Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. The media is totally corrupt. It's completely, um, it's harmful. It's, it's, the media and social media has really thrown gasoline on the fire, like especially not just with obviously the, the, the COVID-19 situation, but also the George, George Floyd incident mm-hmm. and everything that's come after that. It's just, it's, it's just completely um, counterproductive and it's a real shame and I really hope it changes. But yeah, I mean, in terms of curation, you know, I, if I walk through a supermarket, I'll glance at a headline of a newspaper and typically I'll just laugh and be like, that's ridiculous, you know, because because during the entire kind of the, the peak of the coronavirus situation, it was just the headlines would say, you know, X amount more people dead in like bright red, but you're absolutely right. It's um, people can't look past their cognitive biases. Yeah. Like critical thinking is so important. And I don't, I don't propose that I'm a expert in cognitive uh, in critical thinking. And I, I constantly make mistakes, but I strive to try and think more productively. Yeah. Um, you know, I did a whole series of podcasts that is ongoing at the moment and um, with Dave Smith, who's a PhD in, exercise and psychology and uh, it's all about cognitive biases so for example recency bias right so if someone sees that x amount of people have died from the virus in the newspaper then just because they've read it and it's recent it's top of mind they think that's ubiquitous they think that's like happening everywhere and it's going to continue to happen Mm -hmm. and they don't understand you know how your kind of mind plays tricks on you you know um and selection bias with data you know Oh, we're we're only going to show this. We're not going to show all right. these other statistics. Again, very very important during this this debate around racism as well. Yeah, I try to um, think a lot about anchoring yeah. in my own life and how probably a lot of people get attached to the numbers that came out before it was like the peak of the epidemic. So they still have this framework of like how serious it is as far as deaths. And don't get me wrong, there's definitely been a lot of deaths. But from the from the things that I've seen and the objective objective information, it seems like the all-around deaths and the um, uh, the risk to people's lives is not as serious as they initially thought that it would be. But yet, if you anchor your thinking to what you saw before all this came to a head, you might still be in that thinking of like, oh my goodness, like I'm so scared. I don't want to get COVID and die. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of fear. Um, yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like my, my like, my fiance takes the mick out of me because she says, you're always changing your mind. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm always, I'll change my mind on something if better evidence presents itself. And I have flip flopped a little bit during this, um, uh, during this, this time about COVID-19 and, you know, um, for instance, whilst I think, you know, people like, um, Ivor Cummings, who's got a great podcast called the fat emperor has done a lot of like, very detailed, rigorous, evidence-based analysis of the deaths and of the impact of COVID-19 and the impact of the lockdown, all these things. Um, and you know, he makes a pretty solid case as to why it's actually not that bad and the lockdowns don't really have much of an impact, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then, you know, I listened to Brett Weinstein on Joe oh, yeah, Rogan. Rogan. That was a really good episode. Fantastic. Like he's a, he's a really brilliant guy. And, um, you know, he made a good case about the fact that there's still a lot we don't know about this virus and how it might behave in the fall and in the winter. I think there's an inevitable spike in um, flu-like viruses mm. and things like that anyway so we can expect that um but there perhaps there is more unknowns about this than i previously thought and so that's me 
practicing my limited critical thinking skills. You know, I'm not saying I'm spending too much time diving into the source material, the raw data. Mm. Um, I, I think you can do that. And, but, but it is obviously very time consuming and we've got limited time and we all have our different domains of expertise. And obviously most of my time is spent helping my customers and my audience yeah. in my, my high intensity training niche that I have. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I do enjoy learning about what's going on. I think it's important, but in terms of the depth, it's uh, obviously I'm limited. <laughs> yeah. And you have your modesty and you'll admit that. And I think that I would argue that's 99% of it is just admitting where you fall short and where you're unsure because it goes back to the quote that you've probably heard where, you know, the, the smartest people have the least amount of confidence or that's not exactly what I'm going for, but it's like the people. Yeah, it's a Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah. It's like the people who are, who are most ignorant feel most sure about their beliefs. And I think that just having an open mind and being able to change your mind to me, that's puts you above 99% of people because it shows that you have the, uh, the self-awareness to change your mind and to look at information as objectively as possible. Obviously, we know as humans, it's so hard to be completely objective because there's so many subjective biases. But as long as you're, you're trying, as long as you're making that effort. Yeah, that's what Daniel Kahneman says, doesn't he? I think uh, I haven't read the whole of Thinking Fast and Slow. You can get a lot I've of read- ideas. Yeah, I read, I read a really good New York, I think it was a New York Times article or a Medium article that did like a really good breakdown. And I've done a podcast with David Smith on, on uh, Daniel Kahneman's work. Um, and uh, I think he says at the end of the book, like, even though he's a quote unquote expert on mm-hmm. critical thinking, cognitive biases, he still falls for them, <laughs> yeah, exactly. which I think should give the rest of us a lot of comfort. Um, you know, you and I talked about Jordan Peterson last time and mm-hmm. uh, I always remember him saying something like, you know, we're all ignorant as hell. Like we're mm-hmm. all so imperfect. It's ridiculous. And we should always strive to improve on that, but always realize that we're going to make mistakes and we're going to be ignorant about things. And that's okay. That's part of the human condition, you know? So I find that very comforting to, to kind of surrender to the fact that I am going to make a mistake, but just always try and incrementally improve, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Something else, someone else whose work I really enjoy in just talking about all around philosophy and especially about the future is uh, Yuval Noah Harari. Have you ever read any of his books, Sapiens? and? I've read Sapiens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw you on your Instagram talk about that. I yeah. need to read those others. Yeah, yeah so good. And uh, so I'm reading 21 Lessons for the 21st Century right now. And it just, I was reminded when you were talking about just improving your thinking and being able to think clear, being able to be more creative, that sort of stuff. I was just reading about, he was talking about the education system and said that um, some nuanced perspectives in education sort of say that we should lean towards teaching kids how to think rather than just teaching them information. And just like I talked about earlier, how this virus has kind of been showing how antiquated our education system is. He's like, the aspect of just feeding kids information was relevant in the the 1900s, the early 1900s and the 1800s because information was so scarce. But now that information is is limitless, it should be more about teaching kids how to form opinions, how to be creative, how to think critically, how to not just kind of like we've already touched on, just believe anything that you see and how to separate fact from fiction. I think that those working on those sort of skills are going to pay off 10, 20, 30 years down the road in a world where we're not sure exactly what that's going to look like, but we know it's going to be way different than the world we're living in now as technology continues to advance. 
Oh yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I, I feel I have a similar sentiment towards education as you do. Um, and I think you're right. I think this whole, one of the upsides of this whole situation is it has accelerated that, uh, that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kids, are, obviously businesses are, and um, institutions all around the world are embracing Zoom, remote technologies, you know, business owners are looking at their 50 grand a month office and thinking, why do I spend this? Yeah. <laughs> um, and to get back to the point, um, educational establishments are probably seeing a lot of inefficiencies in their existing setup. I think it's totally right. I think they're so behind the curve. It's ridiculous. Um, and, uh, you know, I have a, often have a debate with uh, my fiance about um, what we're going to do with Arthur. And I don't worry too much about that now because it's going to be a few years till we have to think about that anyway. And um, it's only six months. But, uh, you know, I kind of laughingly joke about him being homeschooled or being part of some sort of hybrid where he's in like a, I think Seth Godin talked about the upsides of um, someone teaching privately. It's like a win-win. It's like a win for the person teaching because... Uh, they can charge more, right? Because teachers uh, traditionally don't earn very much money, right? On a global basis, yeah. pretty much. Um, and it's a win for the parents and the students because it's it will be a smaller class. So it'll get more one-on-one, more attention. Um, and maybe there's also an element of flexibility in terms of then curating what they learn. To, to your point about focusing on them on things that are actually useful for them to learn or they're interested in, you know, I know you're a big fan of Naval. I'm a huge fan mm-hmm. of Naval Ravikant. Oh, yeah. I think I think he is like one of the wisest human beings on the mm-hmm. planet right now. It's so and he makes what's that? Yeah, yeah. But that, that's, that's almost his own doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he does curate so, it to some extent. Yeah. So he talks a lot about education and how one should rather than go and read or consume something because they think they should do whatever you're interested in doing, mm-hmm. like read about whatever you're interested in. Don't go read about physics or mathematics or philosophy unless you're actually really drawn to it. And he says how you will, as you start reading what you're interested in, it will take you to the serious materials. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about him whenever I think about reading something, if I feel, if I'm reading a book that everyone says I should read and I should enjoy and I don't, I don't feel as guilty about it anymore. Yeah. And if I go and pick up some heroic fantasy and get really into that, I don't mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. Yeah, no, it is really interesting because I feel like I've tried to adopt that myself in just whatever. I, I, have, I have a very strong view on intuition too that's kind of in line with that where it's like you are interested in certain things because I feel like we all have a calling of some, of some sort. And I feel like that's sort of what Naval is talking to. And you have to dig deeply and widely to find what you're interested in but what you find once you find that you have more of a capacity to work harder work longer because you're working on things that you're really interested in and another thing that Naval says is something along the lines of you know your work should or your play will look like work to other people when you find your calling or something along those lines yeah I completely agree with that how old are you again Jake 24 yeah, you're wise beyond your years. <laughs> yeah, I, I try. I mean, I, I'm just, uh, I, I hope to just always keep an open mind because like I said, that's the most important thing to me. Another person I was thinking about, have you ever heard of Shane Parrish and the Farnham Street blog? Yeah, I've uh, I heard his interview with Naval, but that's as far as I've mm-hmm. gone with his stuff. Yeah, he writes a lot about, about mental models too and about cognitive biases. And I think that, I really think that that's the way of the future. And I try to, you know, you talk about 
my age, like the thing that, that can bother me sometimes is I'm definitely not after like status and like a good steady job because I feel like the wave of the future is going to be entrepreneurship and being interested in philosophy and just overall creativity and thinking and life skills. And sometimes it's hard not to get wrapped up in like seeing my friends getting their first promotion at a corporate job and stuff like that and seeing them, you know, live this more traditional lifestyle. Whereas I feel like I'm trading a lack of status now and I've kind of jumped around to different jobs, some more serious than others. But I feel like I'm, I really just want to focus my, my method of thinking and my ability to be creative and think widely and deeply so that come later in life, I'll be more better suited to, for um, being an entrepreneur in, in an advanced society, I guess. hundred percent. You're, you're on the right path. It's hard because, um, you know, I remember when I, uh, when I moved to Ireland, I had been in it sales for about 10 years. Um, and I'd made very good money doing that. And I was probably earning over six figures in income. Um, and it was a, it was a bit of a hit to the ego to then start a business, um, move to Ireland, start a business, um, and obviously be, be making nothing in the beginning. Um, and, uh, you know, meanwhile, I have friends who have stayed on that corporate career ladder and are, are doing very well for themselves. Um, but it's, it's interesting because there's only been one or two moments where I've been a bit envious and then, mm-hmm. and, and that was very fleeting. And, um, that's because you have to look at someone else's success or decisions or progress in the whole context. So, you know, speaking to an individual recently who's, um, uh, you know, doing very well, earning, earning a hundred K basic before he earns commission, right. Mm-hmm. New range Rover, all these things. And, um, I was really happy for him because you have to tie in the rest of the context. You know, he's, he's tied into a, uh, it's not even a nine to five. It's more like a mm-hmm. 70, 80 hour work week. You know, he's, he's doing a, job selling a service he doesn't really care about yeah and that's kind of kind of when tragic's the wrong word but it's um it's not ideal Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and i look at what i do and i i'm i do work i love and i'm really passionate about it and now it earns an okay living and it's like that's just that's just a way better deal for me you Mm -hmm. know um and and yeah that's just one way of me saying i think you're on the right path I think you're doing the right thing in terms of, um, you hear Gary Vaynerchuk say, taste things. Mm-hmm. So like in your twenties, you want to, you don't really want to worry about like, I've got to make the right decision. Otherwise I waste my time. You just want to taste as much stuff you're interested in. And again, coming back to Naval's um, philosophy around just pursue interests and intuition. It's just taste a load of things in your twenties and uh, even in your thirties, you know, life's long. Um, and just, just through doing that, you'll figure out, you know, the, the projects, the businesses, yeah. I, I kind of disagree with Naval a little bit in terms of like, he's very much like everyone should be an entrepreneur. Why would you work in a business? But, you know, I speak to business owners who have teams and the amazing things that happen when you get groups of people together to build things is very inspiring. And I, I, I think of one example, um, Luke, who I've mentioned on the show, who's one of my mentors, who's the CEO and founder of Discover Strength. They're like a, they have like five personal training studios in America, uh, in um, uh, Minnesota. 
And, um, you know, he, he had to pivot really hard during this time because training studios not accessible. So they had to do virtual, right? Like a lot of the fitness industry mm-hmm. and they just nailed it. They pivoted their business in like two weeks and they were generating very, very good revenue very quickly. And, uh, you know, Luke would keep me cause we were recording content throughout this whole time. And he would tell me about the meetings they had with their teams and how inspiring it is and the challenges and the conflict they had to resolve. And when groups of people get together and work these things out, it's just, really inspiring um you know he taught he, he likened it to the movie a few good men have you seen that mm-hmm. movie with tom cruise i have not actually no okay so there's the, you know one of the main themes for us is the three of them these three lawyers these three uh, navy lawyers are trying to um figure out how they can win this case and they're spending all day and all night like in his apartment his studio apartment trying to figure out their strategy mm-hmm. tom cruise is walking around with his baseball bat like you know saying oh, i can't think without my bat and he's like <laughs> and they've got like a blackboard and they're writing up ideas and it's something beautiful about getting groups of people around yeah. to solve challenges um and come up with solutions so i don't i don't know maybe that's maybe it's not mutually exclusive maybe we can all be entrepreneurs and still do that stuff but I don't know. I just think there's still there's still a space for that. So yeah, another another. It seems like I could have a whole podcast just talking about things Navala said, but he's spoken on the five chimps theory before too, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Where you are the you've heard it in different ways too. Like Jim Rohn says that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, and I definitely feel like you get so much power in doing things like this and talking to people who are growth minded. And that's one of my favorite things about my podcast. I don't ever expect it to you know, blow up and be in the top 10 charts. But for me, I've had a lot of conversations that are just way outside my realm of, of influence, where like one of the really cool ones I had recently was I got to interview Stephen Pressfield, someone whose books really changed my life a lot. And it was weird, because it's, it's, it's funny, I started reading his books, not even two, three years ago, at most. And I could have never imagined that I would invite him on my podcast and he would say yes, but I've heard the comparison so often of a podcast just gives you leverage to talk to people because, you know, if you just, if I were just to reach out to Stephen Pressfield and say, Hey, would you talk to me for an hour? I'm curious to pick your brain. He might just be like, eh, I mean, he might say yes, but you'd probably be a little bit more apprehensive, but you go, Oh, I have a podcast. This is my podcast. This is what it's about. It's like, Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. We'll go, we'll have a conversation for your podcast. So that's been the coolest aspect of it for me. And David Allen too, right? Mm-hmm. So David Allen, yeah, that was really cool. Awesome. Both, it's just, that's the, the coolest thing to me too is realizing, and I was just thinking about this last night. Um, I've gotten back to meeting with my Toastmasters group. We, we've had some meetings in the park. So that's kind of like a nice balance between, you know, not still being able to socially distance. And a lot of people in my Toastmasters group are like my parents age or older. And it's interesting to bounce ideas off of them because you, you hear so much more of an experienced perspective. And when I talk to people like Stephen Pressfield and David Allen, it's obvious that they've kept that open mindset their whole life. And they've always been a student of life. They, they don't fall into dogma or thinking that they know it all which can happen a lot in your older age. Like they're literally in their seventies and they still have a growth mindset and will still be curious to learn new things and learn new methods of thinking. And I, you spoke about Seth Godin and something that came to mind was whenever I think of him, I think about the comparison he makes to getting an A versus learning when, especially when it comes to school, it's like, yeah, maybe you got an A on an assignment, but if you didn't really learn anything, what was the value in that? and just applying that methodology to your life in general. 
when it comes to a corporate job too, sometimes it can kind of fall in that way. It's like, yeah, I made X amount of money this year and I got a promotion, but did I really advance myself? Did I really learn and grow proportionate to what I earned or the status that I grew? Yeah, really wise words, really good point. I totally agree. Um, I'm just just aware of time, but I was thinking about, you know, I didn't want to miss out on on uh, talking about gratitude. Yeah. Um, which I've, if you want to talk about that briefly, um, yeah, I just want to share something on that. Um, the reason I bring up gratitude is because I wrote down all of the virtues that I've been working on or that have been worked on as a result of this whole crisis mm-hmm. and gratitude just comes up again and again and again. And, um, I think there's a few, few dimensions to this. I think firstly, when you have a kid, you, you start developing gratitude for the most basic shit, right? So pre child, let's face it. You don't really have that much in the way of responsibilities for mm-hmm. the most part. Um, and well, not entirely true. Obviously, if you're like a CEO or whatever, then you've got responsibilities. But, yeah. but we, having a life fa- that depends on you is a totally different thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and so suddenly your entire life is pretty much designed around this small person who you have to take care of. So that comes first for everything. And you're always kind of on because you're always having to kind of think about them in every decision you make and at all times during the day. Um, and so suddenly when you get the freedom and this is certainly more true at the start of of fatherhood and obviously it's the same for the mother as well um at the beginning it's like 24 7 they're not sleeping you're not sleeping so when you just get like six hours sleep like Mm -hmm. a six hour block of sleep it's incredible like you know it's like the best feeling ever whereas before you just took sleep for granted like Mm -hmm. i don't know about you but sometimes i'd be like oh i don't even want to go to sleep just want to get on with tomorrow Mm -hmm. whereas now it's like oh yes sleep finally Mm -hmm. (laughs) um you know my fiance is breastfeeding so for her it was like just being able to eat with both hands was Mm -hmm. like a huge deal Mm -hmm. being able to hold a knife and fork um just having, you know, now he goes down quite reliably from like 7 p.m. onwards. So we now have a couple hours every night. We can just chill out. Incredible. Like, we're just so grateful for that. Um, and so that's just obviously related to having a kid. But then if you throw the lockdown into this, um, there's a couple things there. So if you, if you look, think about that, but also think about, I now want to be an example to my son of how to behave during this time. Just for the record, I failed at that miserably during this because me and my fiance have had full-blown arguments in front of him, which I think is okay because he needs to see conflict. But yeah. obviously, there's a limit, right? Um, and uh, and but I have been trying to set good examples in front of him. I've been trying, you know, we don't we try and spend as much time with him as possible, playing with him. When I work out, I make a deliberate point to work out in front of him, mm-hmm. and he looks up at me with like these curious big brown eyes when I'm doing chin-ups and things, and I love all that. Um, so it's been a great opportunity to, to obviously cultivate better habits in front of him. But in, in terms of taking gratitude further, looking at this whole situation, you made some really good points at the start of this about um, how pollution has reduced in certain areas and how people are looking at life differently and how it's almost like a reset, which I completely agree with. But what I also love about this is I think as an entrepreneur, it's like the ultimate test. It's like if you have a business that only worked in the old way, you're now forced, if you want to generate revenue, to be 
flexible and agile and pivot your offering. Mm -hmm. And by going down that path, trying to figure that out, whether you're successful or not, is going to turn you into an incredible entrepreneur in the long term. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, case in point, I, uh, my business was hit by it, obviously, right? I, I help personal training studios. Many of them shut their doors. They need to cut costs. Fair enough. Um, so I was hit by, you know, churn to my revenue. And um, so what I did is I partnered with um, a business called Carol who provide these high intensity interval training bikes. They wanted to help the industry. They wanted to provide a really good affiliate offer to the studio to sell bikes to their customers at home. So this is one that, wanted you, a, that you take into your house basically. Correct. Yeah. You could obviously you have them in studios as well, mm -hmm. but um, you can also have it at home. And so we came to a, uh, we formed a partnership. They paid me some money in order to help promote that. And that helped offset a lot of my losses during the COVID season. Um, and so that was one way I pivoted successfully an opportunity that came up. However, um, you know, obviously I did, I did, uh, I did, as I said, I did lose some, some business that's now started to pick up really rapidly, which I'm really pleased to say, and things are a lot better. Um, but during the whole time I was just like, you know, I, I, although I was a bit concerned and worried, I knew that this was a great learning experience and I was fortunate enough that I had enough savings where I didn't really worry about money. I knew I'd be, be able to provide for the family. So that's important. So that's a lesson learned It's always have savings so that you have a contingency plan in the worst case scenario. Um, but I, I then spent a lot of time just trying to figure out, okay, what is the best thing that we as entrepreneurs can do during a time like this? And for me, I was like, okay, and I got this from mentors I was speaking with at the time. It's like, I need to provide as much value as possible to my audience to help them through this time. So I actually invested money mm -hmm. in creating more content, invested more time, energy, and money in creating more content, more value, more resources to help, um, to help my customer. And, you know, I'm not completely altruistic. Like I understand that's going to increase my brand equity right. and help my business in the long term, but that's just good business you know mm -hmm. it's good morals um and i think everyone who didn't do that really missed out um and yeah i mean i just wanted to share that because i think that as, a, as an entrepreneur that's how you have to uh respond in a situation like this mm -hmm. and those that just kind of sat down and moaned and complained it's like well you kind of it's not very proactive to do that you know yeah. <laughs> i mean if you want to hear an incredible story Nick, you probably heard this one. Nick Conus was on Tim Ferriss talking about how he pivoted a linear group of restaurants. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was just like mind-blowing. Like mm -hmm. he pivoted a whole restaurant chain to doing takeout, but then he also pivoted um, his online business, which is a, uh, I can't remember what it's called now. It's like a booking, table booking, reservation booking, uh, online business for, I think it's called Tok. I want to say, okay. um, for, uh, I think higher end restaurants, it's a bit like, a bit like open table, but slightly different niche. And, um, that turned that into, it, that, that literally was doing like a million in day revenue dropped mm -hmm. to zero. And then he pulled it back up to like 2 million a day or something, or one of those like 1.2 million a day. It's like unbelievable. Yeah. And that is how, that is how we need to behave. Yeah, just looking like for the new opportunities rather than being upset because old opportunities go by the wayside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think about 
gratitude. I mostly think about my morning journal routine, how I always write down things I'm grateful for and what went well from the day before, as well as what could have been improved. And I, I think about a lot of people that I know that are just always harping on the negative news and the negative media. And to me, it's like, there's always a million things you could point out that are negative. People love to point out, you know, whatever thing Trump's doing at the time. And it's like, I don't think it's breaking news that Trump's an idiot. Like, don't, don't, don't allow him <laughs> to, people just, seems like they just allow him to like frustrate them on a daily basis. It's like, don't pay attention to him. That's what he wants. That's what he thrives off of. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. There's always, you're right. There's always negative media to consumer attention and comes back to our conversation about curation, right? Like I, I, I live in this little echo chamber, which I'm mm. trying to kind of make a little bit more mixed. I try to hear both sides as much as I can. Um, but yeah, I mean the podcast I'm listening to at the moment, Sam Harris, I mean, you kind of made me listen to him yeah. more. Uh, Great. his last, his last one, um, about the whole racism situation is is incredible like it's a masterpiece um we don't have to go into that because it's super political and i don't want to trigger everyone um but uh you know tim ferris joe rogan i think does a great job these days you know, these are the, the influences that i think are actually more productive mm -hmm. so. yeah well unfortunately i gotta head out but uh i'm sure you have more stuff to talk about i know i have more stuff to talk about we'll have to see about maybe doing a a part two to this would probably be fun if you That'd have great, a few yeah. more points all right of course yeah well fun. let me catch up with you soon and uh, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. And hopefully to be continued. My pleasure, Jake. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Hey, it's Jake again. If this podcast provided you any value, I'd encourage you to share it with someone who you think might enjoy it. In addition, it'd really help me out a lot if you would go and subscribe or leave a review for my podcast. It's super easy. And in addition, if you have any questions or comments, I'd love for you to reach out to me by email or Instagram DM, which can both be found on my website. Thanks.